That was wild. What was that? I don't know. It sounded like metal. It could be outside. It could be a bicycle outside. It could be a bicycle. We also both heard it at the exact same time. We did. It came from over there. Yeah. Okay. There's no rehearsal um, in the Annie Russell Theater tonight. The red velvet seats make a sea of crimson in the void before us. Hanging from the ceiling are circular chandeliers with amber bulbs flickering against the tanned paint. Along the framework of the building are green and red designs shining out at us from the walls. In the lobby, obscured by columns and windows, the blank space where our eyes cannot see leave an unmistakable imprint of anxiety. Every creak, bump, groan, squeak, or shuffle makes us jump. We're in a haunted theater tonight, and we're trying to keep our calm. I have set up two microphones, one at the edge of the stage facing out into the auditorium, the other is between myself and my guest, Parker King. Parker and I have been friends for three years now. We both attended Rollins College together. We've worked on several shows together, improvised together, organized events together. This is, however, our first time hunting ghosts together. No one has had the types of experiences that Parker has had, and no one is more eager to hunt for more experiences than Parker. She has brought crystals for us to hold and to calm us down, and bouncy balls to see if they'll move on their own. Occasionally, she'll bring a flashlight with her. I'm not afraid to admit this to you. I love ghost hunting. I did it as a job once, and I cannot resist a haunted building. Parker and I have been planning this trip into the Annie Russell Theater for weeks now. We got lucky that, on the night we planned for, rehearsal was canceled. So, we set up shop in the middle of the stage. We considered turning the lights out and sitting in the dark with just the ghost light next to us. The ghost light is a theater tradition, a light left on on a darkened stage to keep people safe. Let's say you're the first person in the theater when the lights are still out. You may walk too far, misjudge the size of the stage, and fall right off. As a means to prevent this, theaters started putting out single bulbs set on a stand that illuminate the darkened theater throughout the night. That is the practical explanation. The superstitious reason is far more unusual. It is said that the ghost light is set up so that the ghosts that haunt the theater, because every theater has a ghost, have light to perform by. Our ghost light tonight was just behind my back, but we didn't need it. We turned on every light in the place. This is a place of comfort and cherished memories as we both have spent four years working within its walls, but tonight, we were scared. You see, the Annie Russell Theater has a ghost. Maybe two ghosts, we're not sure. One we know for sure, and it's not hard to guess who it is. Annie Russell herself. She was a teacher here at the Annie Russell Theater at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, just outside of Orlando. She was an actress around the world until she finally settled down here in Florida. The building that bears her name was built in 1932, and she was only able to spend four years in its company before she passed. It's still here, over 80 years later putting on four shows a year, and hosting dance performances, improv shows, high school plays, and of course, classes. I've had many a class in the Annie Russell Theater. Parker and I spent an hour in the Annie, telling stories and waiting. Every few minutes or so, one of us would stop mid-sentence and gaze into the distance. We had heard something, or seen someone. An errant shadow, the shuffling of feet. Mostly, we would hear sounds from passers-by out the side door, but occasionally, when we were gripped in conversation, out of the corner of our eyes. I thought I just saw something out of the corner of my eye. Right there. Right in between the second two windows? Actually, it was down in the audience. 
Oh, okay. Just to the right side of that center table. Corner of my eye. Oh, that would have lined up where I just thought I saw something too. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, in the final episode of October, I'm taking you into the Annie, Orlando's favorite haunted theater. We'll speak with some of the most active visitors to the space, the things they've seen and heard, and the ways we all leave our marks. Before my late night visit, I spent some time in the old theater when there was a lot more people around. It had been a long time since I had visited a rehearsal in this space. I graduated a year and a half ago, and though I return for every opening night, I haven't spent this much time in here at once since I left. It's hard coming back once you're gone. You don't want to feel like a burden or an annoyance, but there are signatures on the back walls of all the alumni who have come and gone, and my friends today were glad to see me. Rehearsal was just as warm as ever. On this night, they were working on an improv show, an original two-act play devised by a group of student researchers and improv extraordinaire Dr. David Charles. Dr. Charles, known as Dr. D by his students, has created several full-length improv structures now. This November, he's putting on his latest, Private Lies, an improvised film noir. Today, they're playing an improv game called Reiterate Repeat, a variation on a classic acting technique from Sanford Meisner, where words are repeated back and forth in unique ways to create new meaning. In this version, they're saying phrases, excerpts or short lines of dialogue, repeating part of or the whole of the sentence and adding in their own flavor. The new flavor, then added response, builds a scene. Even though the actors are speaking in repeated lines for some of the dialogue, the scene builds. Emotions escalate, scene pictures change, characters are built, and by the end, through repetition, it's an entirely unique scene, far different from the one it resembled at the start. By just spicing each line differently, the dynamic finds new shapes. When it's done, they laugh, they break, and they gather. What did we learn? An element of this show is reenacted storytelling. The narrator, Richard Lies, played by Dr. Charles himself, is a private eye, and the show begins with him interrogating a witness to a crime a la classic noir film. The scene the witness describes is then enacted on stage, and the details are picked out by the improvisers in the scene. It's complicated and rich, the kind of complex story structure that David Charles is known for in his shows. He loves genre and perspective and structure and character. It's all here in a taut net of narrative that holds together even in this their third rehearsal. Improvised shows are hard enough, but when they're built around a framework like this, it requires your brain to juggle several ideas at once. These improvisers are working hard, and every time they start fresh, it's a little more magic than it was before. During a break, I caught up with two friends who I knew had ghost stories of their own. They shared them with me. The first is Abby Henry, a senior. 
She'd heard Annie's stories before she even came to the theater. Her brother attended the school before her and also performed in this space. Abby came in knowing the old stories already, but her experiences are pretty great. Okay, so this was two years ago. I had taken a group of first-year students to the Annie Russell Theater Garden, our garden right outside, and I was telling them about Annie and some of the various stories that uh, some friends had, such as talking to Annie through the light, and I was mentioning that Annie sometimes used to wear purple because that's what I was told when I was a first year and that she really liked the color purple and right after I said this from the corner of my eye I saw a purple flash of light and my friends all saw it too so we turned around and we looked and we saw the face of an old woman just float across the garden and I looked at her for about four or five seconds and then got so freaked out I had to close my eyes and turn away. But my friend said about two seconds after that she had just vanished and it was just her face prompted by a purple flash of light. Then I was joined by my friend Allie Furlong who learned of the ghost stories when she visited for a scholarship weekend. Okay, my Annie ghost story was Priscilla Weekend um, and Priscilla Weekend I had no idea if I was going to come to this school. I wasn't sure. I was, wasn't sure if I was even going to go to Florida. And, um, I went to go do the audition and I went backstage and I was like hearing all the stuff about Annie and I didn't believe in ghosts. Um, so I was like, this is so dumb, but I'm going to speak to the universe. And I'm like, okay, someone give me a sign if I need to be here. Um, and then I said like, I was like, someone give me a sign. I went on stage. I did my monologues, came off. I felt really good. And I looked up and the door was open and it wasn't open before. So the door was the, was the thing that I, I kind of experienced was. The door Allie mentioned here is supposedly Annie's old dressing room. It sits about 30 feet above our heads off stage left. It's inaccessible to us. It's said that during a renovation a few decades ago, the stairs that led to that room were removed, but the door remained. The legend is that if Annie likes a performance on her stage, she will swing the door wide open. If she's not a fan, the door will swing shut. But no one has more stories than Parker. We aren't quite sure why, but she's got the best ones, really. Here's her first encounter on a late night trip with our friend Annabelle. Me and Annabelle, we came into the garden our freshman year because we heard the stories. And so we went into the garden and it was very much just like, oh, we're going to go see. We've heard this story that like the light turns on and off as you talk to it. Like whatever, we'll see what happens. Um, So as soon as we walked in and we said, hello, Annie, the light went out immediately. And we were like, all right, cool. Weird, but cool. Um, So we went in and we sat down and we started asking questions, getting answers. um, And I mean like immediate answers, um, which like it's still kind of one of those things that non-believers will be like, well, it could have just been the light. It could have been something with the light. Um, But the thing that got me the most was after a while, we stopped getting answers from her. Like nothing, the light was on, nothing was changing. Um, And then, um, I whispered to Annabelle. So like, even like to the point that like, if someone was in the bushes, like playing a game, they couldn't have heard. Sure. Um, Cause that's like always my other thought too, is like, what if, you know, some security man is, is put, has like the little switch on and off and he's playing games cause he knows 
this is what we've heard. Um, and I whispered to Annabelle and I said, um, I, do you think she stopped because um, there are people out there and there had been a group of kids that kind of rode by on a bike and they were being super loud and kind of like hanging out outside, um, not right outside of the garden walls, but a little bit kind of like that main walkway. Um, and as soon as I said that the light turned off again. So that was the immediate answer that I was like, all right, that's her. Another time, her and some friends were doing a late night ghost hunt with Annie. Suddenly, one of the members of her group got nervous and had to leave. Parker likes to say goodnight properly before she leaves, but she didn't. On this night, she was too rushed. So she and our friend Chase returned to finish the conversation properly. So we were saying goodbye, we were turning around to leave, and at the time, the tech, table, the tech tables were set up because we were in tech week of a show. Um, and as we were leaving, the god mic um, made a static noise. The God Mic is a special microphone that the stage manager uses to speak to us from the booth if need be. It is rarely left on overnight. Like, and like, at that moment, Chase and I looked at each other and we went, all right, we're done. And we walked out and we locked up. And it was even just a moment of like, it was only me and Chase. We only came in to say goodbye. And that was almost like the thing of like, like almost like a, yes, I recognize that you did that. You know what I mean? And the woman whose ghost we all have some relationship with has been here longer than us. Longer than we've all been alive, longer than our parents or even grandparents have been alive. She began working as an actor 150 years ago at the age of seven. Annie Russell was born in Dublin, Ireland, poor, one of three kids. When her father died in 1874, when she was just five, her mother picked up and took the entire family across the Atlantic to Canada. She was cast in her first role two years later when she was in Montreal. From that point on, she started working actively, even as a young woman. She put so much of herself into her career that she would often get very sick and disappear for months at a time before returning to work. And every time she returned, she did so with vigor. One critic in Baltimore reviewed her performance as Puck in Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. Quote, That Miss Annie Russell is a thorough artist is an accepted fact. In fact, the performance was a series of surprises, for Miss Russell made her first appearance flying on the stage, and she rose and floated about in the air with all the grace and ease of a veritable fairy elf in the woods." End quote. She was in dozens upon dozens of shows in Canada, America, and Europe. She took up residences, performed in all types of theatrical material, and picked up a husband or two along the way. She befriended playwright Bernard Shaw, performed for President William Howard Taft, and saw the world firsthand. After 40 years of near constant work perfecting her craft, at the age of 49, she retired from acting. She had a friend who had been living in Florida, Mary Louise Curtis Bach, whose husband, Edward Bach, would soon build Bach Tower Gardens in Lake Wales. She moved in 1918 to Florida. She saw a performance of a Bernard Shaw play put on by the students of Rollins College and was so delighted that, after some prompting by a local reverend, Annie built the Annie Russell Theater. She had some help from, of course, the box. She became a professor in the theater that bore her name and even returned to acting for just one production, the inaugural show in the Annie. She then passed in 1936, four years after her theater opened. You heard a story 
that I had never heard. Can you tell that story again for me? Yes, absolutely. So I predate all of you. So I'm going to expand your timeline here. Great. I started at Rollins as a transfer student in 2007. Okay. And then I was there for two years. So I graduated in 2009. Great. So like exactly right before a lot of my my right seniors started. Exactly. I also had a job working in the archives at the Rollins Library, in Olin Library with, with Wenchen, which was awesome. And that is where I heard a lot of my Rollins lore. I'm in the archives of the Winter Park Public Library with archivist Rachel Simmons and adult services librarian Beth Reynolds. Beth is wearing a Halloween pattern dress, and Simmons has handed me three piles of articles and documents about Annie and her theater. The second I mentioned Annie, Beth, who attended Rollins herself, instantly had a story of her own, one that I had actually never heard before very difficult to pinpoint when I heard the story because it was just so accepted. It's kind of like, when was the first time you had chocolate? When was the first time you went to McDonald's? That's just part of Rollins' culture. It's, it's just, you, just you hear part the of, Annie story. Exactly. Sure. It's just, we all kind of talked about the ghosts in the Annie Russell Theater. And what I had heard was that he was a stagehand who committed suicide. And so you always had to leave a box open for him every performance for the dead stagehand who haunted the Annie Russell Theater. You didn't hear ghost stories about Annie as a ghost? No, it was just the dude, the stagehand. The detail of this man was actually confirmed when I found an article from October of 2009 that also sought to collect some of the ghost stories about the Annie. A man who hanged himself from the rigging on stage is a particularly unhappy spirit and some staff members refuse to walk in the theater's back hallway at night where a dark and angry presence is sometimes that's felt. That's him. That's him. Because he hangs himself. So that's the guy that I heard about. Now, Beth predates my Rollins era by only a few years, and she also was not a theater major. We have stories of a second ghost, but the most common are of Annie. Perhaps at one time the tradition was still held, but five years after Beth had graduated, that story was gone. There are stories of Annie having a reserved chair and it being the last one to sell, but an entire box reserved for some unknown male ghost? I'd never heard that one. Dozens upon dozens of articles in the archives about Annie begin with a brief summation of the ghost stories, of her presence and legacy. And that very same article, the one from 2009, presented something even more complicated. Not a news story, but a variation on a story I had heard for five years. Horn said in 1963, two students were preparing lighting for an upcoming show. One mounted a ladder to work on the rigging. While halfway up, he felt something tugging on his pant leg, but when he looked down, there was no one there. Shrugging it off, the student kept up the ladder. When he was near the top, when he was near the top his hand touched a live wire and he fell. His friend returned to find him still alive, but badly hurt. When he made the call to 911, however, he was told police were already on their way. The operator had already received the call from an elderly woman moments before. Here's Barker telling the exact same story a week earlier. He felt he felt a tug on his um, uh, he felt a tug on his pants before he got um, electrocuted, um, but he ignored it. Then he got electrocuted. He fell. He was unable to move. Um, we know the telling of no one else knew that he was in the space. Somebody finally came in and saw him. There's no specification of that time that happens. Um, they call, I forget if it's Campo or 911, they say, oh, we already have people on the way. An older lady just called um, to inform us about that. I've heard that story too. It's my favorite story in the Annie, but my version is slightly different. I never heard about the tugging that had been mentioned in both, and I always heard that it was a maintenance worker who was here late at night. I never heard that it was two students. Plus, the detail of it being in 1963, nobody knew that. Maybe I had heard all that. 
but when I retold it to the new classes as they came in, maybe I changed it without knowing it. It was diluted a little into Parker's variation, but the most important elements remain. A man fell late at night and Annie called 911. We've got the details all mixed up, but the story survives. I'd like to tell you my first story. When I was a freshman, I met the ghosts of the Annie on a particularly terrible day. It had been raining all day, and the busy quality of college life caught up to me. I fell off my feet twice that day, once while walking up the stairs to my dorm, and another time walking up to my job at the newspaper. Hiking up the stairs both times, I slipped and fell on my stomach, spilling food everywhere. The third time, I was running into the Annie. I was late for rehearsal, drenched by rain, jumping up the steps in my wet flip-flops. When I hit the stone steps, my feet slipped out from under me, and I fell hard on my back. The wind was knocked out of me, and I gasped for air. In that silent moment, a voice from above spoke to me, male, friendly. He asked me if I was all right. I said yes, and sat up, catching my breath. After a second, I inquired as to who the voice belonged to. He replied with a laugh that he was a guardian angel. I thought nothing of it. Later, a castmate heard my story and noted how strange it was. There were offices upstairs in the Annie, and a man worked up there, but he was a professor of mine at the time, and I knew it wasn't his voice. Basically, other than the professors who worked up there, no one spends any time on the Annie's second floor. I have no idea who it was. I have no idea if it was supernatural. It could have been anything. But all I know is that from that point on, I was always looking for her. And maybe we all are. Not everyone has a ghost story at the Annie, but everyone knows them. They know of the door that sits 30 feet up backstage that is supposedly her old dressing room. Guests in the audience can hear knocking from random spots all over the building, including on the ceiling. I myself heard four solid knocks on the ceiling during auditions one evening many years ago. We all close the door by saying goodnight, Annie, when we leave. We're all afraid to be there late at night after rehearsal, and we watch the dark corners for any movement. We ask difficult life questions to the lamp outside of the Annie because, like it did for many of us, it flickers when it approves of your decision. Certainly, there are simple explanations for many of these, and some of our tech theater professors will tell you about air pressure moving doors and loose wires flickering lights, but the explanations do not change the fact. She's everywhere, and a theater is the perfect place for her to be. I mean, I do think that that super could be supported because so much emotional growth and just feelings and there's constantly strain and stress, I super think that that could happen. She's around us, beyond the intense emotion in this space. She is the unifying fact of our history. From the moment the theater came to be in 1932, 87 years ago, Annie has been here. First, she was an actress, a professor, a patron. Then, whether you believe it or not, she became a ghost. If you believe in ghosts, then you understand that she's still enjoying our shows, watching from the balcony, running her hands down the seats, shuffling around the empty stage. If you don't believe in ghosts, you still can't deny how present Annie is. The theater is not just the building we perform in. It's not just the ghost and her stories that last throughout the decades. It's also us sharing year to year and carrying it on. 
Parker plans on writing it all up and binding a book of all of the best Annie stories. My gift to the Annie my senior year, <laughs> because I'm going to do that, is I'm writing down because I'm pretty sure I'm the one who has the most solid grasp on all of the stories. So I, I already have most of them written down in a Google Drive, but I'm going in depth with every single story. I am printing it all out. I am putting it on a binder. I am sharing that file so that then those stories never die and we never lose them. We leave our signatures on the back walls. There are signatures from decades ago, names and stories whose origins stretch beyond my timeline. We place our names now, like planting a seed, so that we too can be ghosts in the Annie, fractured pieces of who we once were. And we may be misremembered or have our narratives altered and changed, but for a moment, for just a few short years, we live in this space, and then we're gone. Parker and I didn't catch any ghosts tonight. We heard some movement and a cold wind brushed against her arm, but nothing serious. That didn't matter to us. All that mattered is that we spent some time with Annie. Good night. Good night. Um, also, one of my biggest fears is looking back in there. Uh -huh, me too. And me too. Seeing someone. Me too. <laughs> Every time. Yep. Just had a horrified bite right now. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. This is episode 8 of the 12-episode season. Next week, I'm going to tell you about one of the wildest, weirdest elections in Florida history, and it is not the one you're thinking of. If you're in the area and you'd like to spend some time in the Annie Russell Theater, you can check out their upcoming show, Private Lies, which opens in a few weeks on Friday, November 15th. It's an improvised film noir, and it's going to be spectacular. Pick up your tickets at the link in the description below. I'd also like to thank my new pals Rachel Simmons and Beth Reynolds at the Winter Park Public Library. They provided much of the research for this episode. They work hard over there, and it shows. The library is one of my favorites. If you ever want to check out an incredible Central Florida archive or just find a quiet place to read and work, their doors are always open. You can find out more about what the library is up to and their upcoming move to a new building at the link below as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review. I read every single one, and I'm always looking to hear what you have to say about this show. Your reviews help it grow, and it helps me improve every single episode. You can also reach me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. You can find the links for those in the description below. While you're there, why not share this episode with your friends? I know you know someone who would love a good ghost story, and this is a good one. You can also send me an email at wfmpod at gmail.com, especially if you have an idea for a future episode. I'm working on season three right now, and I would always love to hear what you would love to hear. All of the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find the titles in the description, along with a link to more of their fantastic music. I'll be back next Monday with another episode. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, drink more water, and have a very, very happy Halloween.